Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. We are continuing our series here on the Sermon on the Mount. As a reminder, the format that I will be using is going to be to uh, share a poem that I wrote uh, in regard to the Sermon on the Mount that will hopefully uh, give us a kind of springboard to talk about some of the, the issues in the Sermon on the Mount and hopefully give you some images that you'll be able to take with you and maybe help you to remember certain sections of the sermon or pull out certain things when you read them again. After I read the poem, we'll expound and discuss. Since this is the first episode with a poem, I think that it will be helpful to explain the sonnet format a little bit to you. So there are various sonnets, but the form I use is the Shakespearean sonnet, which has 14 lines with alternating rhyme, uh, with the first two lines, or uh, well, the final two lines, or the couplet, is going to be rhyming. So it goes A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. It is written in iambic pentameter, or most of the time at least, which is just kind of the sing-songy da-da, 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 da-da. It's, uh, it's got that rhythm. You can read it with that rhythm. I like to read it that way. It kind of makes it more, more robotic, but I just like the way that it sounds. But I will, uh, I will read the poems more normally. But I will also post them so you can read them however you like. Within the poems, there are usually a lot of meanings, um, not all of which I'm going to be able to highlight in, in this, and it's uh, it's kind of cumbersome to highlight that way. So I will be posting the poems with the uh, with the footnotes, um, and I will I'm sure I'll post some links to to my poems as well, so you can kind of download them or or whatever if you're interested at all. So, uh, here it goes. The first sonnet I wrote is represented by the gem Onyx. And this represents Matthew 5, 1 through 12, which are going to be, uh, is going to be the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the blesseds, blessed are the... And then it also is going to cover um, Matthew 7, 12 through 29, which is the narrow gate, the idea of true disciples, the tree bearing fruit, and building on the rock. So basically talking about people who are are in the kingdom and representative of the kingdom. Onyx is well known in its black and white form. It was thought to have the properties which allowed it to quell fear and pain, and pain especially in childbirth. In Rome, it was thought to give courage or to take away the fear of death and injury. In Europe, it gave eloquence or it took away the fear of being humiliated. It was also supposed to be able to quell sexual lust, and it was thought to constrain evil spirits. So by and large, if you take uh, the, the ideas surrounding the, the onyx gem, the overarching idea seems to be that it is a dampening gem, a depressive material towards emotions or spiritual entities. So here are a few things to look out for in this poem. Uh, first, many of the ideas mentioned for onyx are here. You're going to see ideas of painful or black and white, avoiding pain, courage, fallen demons, things like that. Second, since onyx has this juxtaposition of black and white, 
I use juxtaposition throughout the poem, or chiaroscuro, whatever you want to call it. Each line is going to have opposing thoughts. So uh, in one line you'll, you'll hear uh, the words hear and unsaid, which are opposites, to hear something, but you can't hear something that is unsaid, so they're, they're contrary ideas. Or light and night, or divorced and wed, or grounded and flight. So every line in the poem has opposites. If you want the full list, you can look at the notes. So I will now go ahead and read the poem. And uh, you can pause it if you want to kind of read the notes ahead of time, or if you want to read the sections in Matthew that, that this is representing. And I'll read the poem and then discuss stanza by stanza. Words our minds here are often left unsaid. Enlightened thoughts only see light of night. Divorced from ideal to cynic wed, are grounded beings never taking flight. In painful world most seek only pleasure, juxtaposed lives like black and white onyx, living subjectively in great measure, those who seek to find life in cryonics. But facing life means not avoiding pain, as we defend the clean from the besmirched. With courage we retreat from the inane to battle fallen demons who are perched. Christ's illocution is not vacuous. The cross is and is not precipitous. So the first stanza highlights the oppression Christ's mirror, uh, hearers must have felt. It was the poor and the lowly who tended to seek out Jesus and likely felt worthless. They knew how the world worked and they knew the world was cruel because they experienced it. They were downtrodden and oppressed with no promise of good fortune and no hope. Yet we know from our representative passages that Jesus gave, uh, gives the hopeless hope. The poor in spirit, the persecuted, the meek, the lowly are promised prime real estate in the kingdom of God. In the second stanza, I look at why the world looks down on those whom Jesus elevates. We reject pain and embrace pleasure, equating one with a bad life and the other with good. And oftentimes we even equate one with sinner and the other with somebody who is godly. Yet this life is often filled with extreme subjectivity as we continue to commit the sin of, of Adam and Eve. And that sin is largely that we define pleasure and good for ourselves, as well as pain. Now, An example of this might be that you can ask a marathon runner if running is pleasurable or painful, and they're going to have a different answer than somebody who's sedentary uh, and who hasn't exercised for a year. But we do that in the moral realm, too. We define what is good and what is evil, and we define it as we like to define it, not as God defines it. So, um, something like patience we consider to be painful. So, a life where one need not be patient is better than a life where one has to be patient. Something like sex is pleasurable. So a life where there are no limits on one's desires to fulfill their urge is good. Our judgment of the good life is one in which we are gods who determine good and avoid discipline, avoid pain, avoid uh, having to quell our pleasures. And of course, all of this is wrapped up in the desire to live forever in our youth or to be immortal, which is why I reference cryonics here. But in our selected passages, Jesus doesn't see things the same. A blessed life 
filled with hope is one in which people submit to the Lordship of God. A blessed life is one in which people are disciplined to do right. A blessed follower is one who lays down lordship of his own life to do good to others. A true follower is one who obeys Christ's words and empties themselves just as he did. So when Jesus defines what is good, it is oftentimes different than the way that we define it, and it looks counterintuitive to, to anything that we would have ever guessed. The third stanza bears out the conclusion Jesus gives us from our selected passages. The avoidance of pain is not true life. Standing up for what is right and submitting to God is true life. Christ gives us courage to battle the lies of this world and the lies of the devil who are waiting to devour us by feeding us the lie of self-lordship and our defining of good and evil for ourselves. The couplet closes the poem by referring to Christ's words in our section as carrying illocutionary force. Illocution basically means um, like the meaning behind the words or behind the locution. So for instance, if I say to my children, are you still watching TV? A possible illocution of that is that this is a command to stop watching television since they've already watched too much. Uh, so depending on how I say it, Hey, are you guys still watching TV? Or, are you still watching TV? Uh, we, can, we can make the illocution different. Illocution can come in the form of a warning, a command, or a promise. So when Jesus says all the blesseds, or when he says wise men build their houses on rocks of his, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount teaching, these are implicit commands to do what he says, calls to action, and warnings against not seeking those things, as well as promises for if we do follow those things. So Christ's elocution in the Sermon on the Mount covers all three of those things, commands, warnings, and promises. In light of all this, the cross, the road Christ's life and commands explicitly lead to for both him and his followers, and he says, pick up your crosses and follow me, it's uh, both precipitous and not precipitous. So in the first sense of the word, the cross is precipitous because it is a life of steep ascent. It is hard climbing up Golgotha with your cross on your back. That's difficult. It's steep. It's hard. Um, to live the life Christ calls us to is, is like climbing a mountain. Um, but in the other sense of the word, the cross is not precipitous. See, uh, precipitous, when referring to an action, can mean hasty, rash, or, or unplanned, right? Something that kind of just happens, which oftentimes as we bear our cross, the consequences are unforeseen, though we know that we will bear our cross. Um, but the decision to follow Christ and obey him is not a momentary one or a decision not well thought out. A life of following Christ is building a house. It's an endeavor which occurs over many months, many years, many decades. Um, and that building needs to be done on a rock. Well, that uh, kind of summarizes everything there in that poem. I would recommend, if uh, you're into this kind of thing, just going in and looking at the notes and s recapping what I what I mentioned, kind of going back and, and looking at the imagery once you know what the explanation is, and uh, really thinking through it and just view this as a another way, another angle to come at the Sermon on the Mount and just, uh, just 
produce images and associations in your head for some of the most beautiful and complex yet simple teachings of Christ. And that's all for now. So peace. Because I'm a pacifist. And I say it. I'm